Great friendships never happen by accident. So we need to know what we're going for and as it were, have a plan of going for it. It makes life better. It really does. It stretches our souls. It provides uh, sort of corrections to us when we need it. it, provides encouragement when we need it. In even, even in marriage, marriage is often described as the highest form of friendship. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Okay, listeners, I heard you. Finally, a happy topic, just for you. Today we're talking about friendship. Friendship is the best. These people who don't have to love you, as your family does, but still choose to. It's an awesome human thing that has also been exalted, if you will, by Jesus, who said at the Last Supper, I have called you friends. What's the main thing that Christianity adds? Very simply and very profoundly, it adds that you can be friends with God. This is Dr. John Cudabeck. I am John Cudabeck. I am a professor of philosophy at Christendom College. Why does he care about friendship? Because I think that life in many ways is about friendship. It's probably the most powerful thing that I have taught. And my students find, as I found as a student, that it is deeply life-changing. Dr. Cudabak teaches college students about friendship, among other things. Uh, Aristotle's great work on ethics, the Nicomachean Ethics, has 10 books or chapters, and two of those 10 are devoted to friendship. There is no other topic that takes that attention that Aristotle gives, and so it's a great place to start to recognize if we're going to understand what the good human life is, we have to understand what friendship is. So the basic principles about how the term is used, different kinds of it. And I particularly like to focus on the most important kind, true or virtuous friendship. Aristotle says there are three kinds of friendship. Friendship of utility or usefulness, friendship of pleasure, or virtuous friendship, which is the true friendship. The first two are real enough, and we have to have them. They're just not that deep, real, we would die for each other kind of thing. There is a legitimate place in life for a friendship of pleasure, friendship and utility. And really what that's saying is that with that person, this relationship doesn't go much deeper than we enjoy being together. We enjoy doing things together in various and sundry ways or a friendship of usefulness where we're able to be helpful to one another. When this friendship is well done, again, it's an important part of life. It can be done with great integrity, but the friendship doesn't reach the level of We've really gotten to know one another, and we really are able to enter into one another's lives in a deep and profound and more intimate kind of way. To have the third kind of friendship, the kind we all really long for, takes time. Aristotle points out the desire for friendship can arise quickly. Friendship does not arise quickly. It's a great, great distinction if you hear someone say, well, we became friends right away. The truth behind it is you hit it off well right away, and maybe you knew there's a good chance this is going to go somewhere, and you conceived a desire to become closer to one another, to grow in friendship and sharing your lives together. When we say we were fast friends, what we mean is that we connected easily. Our personalities meshed well. But we couldn't really know the other person right away. And, perhaps more importantly, 
we couldn't really know yet whether the other is actually a good person. It requires virtue, and virtue is rather rare. Dr. Cudebeck asks his students, how many people really know you? Stop and think about that. There are a lot of ways that our culture makes forming deep friendships a challenge. We tend to lack stability. And if we're always moving around, or we're changing what we're doing, we're not with the same people, we live in an age of dramatic loneliness. The true remedy to loneliness is true friendship, and true friendship requires much of us. I know this is going to be an unpopular thing to say, but I get to blame Aristotle, even though I agree with him. You can't be the third kind of friend if you live across the country from the other person. Aristotle asked the great, great question, can you be friends at a distance? He distinguishes between what we call the habit of friendship and the actual acts of the friendship or the acting out of it. He says, you're still friends with someone even if you're sleeping. But while you're sleeping, you're not actually acting out the friendship, but the habitual aspect of it is still present. So he starts to answer the question then, can you be friends at a distance? Well, he says, at a distance, you can't be performing the act of friendship. The acts, the various acts of friendship are various ways of sharing life, of living together and being together. But you can't still have that habit, the habitual disposition towards one another at a distance. So I'm still friends with people in Colorado or Texas or England in a way because of the habit that was formed when we were going to class together or sharing a house together or whatever. But a habitual disposition that isn't exercised ends up being lost. Losing the acting out of friendship is a significant thing. We see this in experience. When you move away, just being apart, you can maintain something for some time, but the fact that you're not in one another's lives, in one another's presence, in some way able to live together, you start to lose what you had. Predictably, when Dr. Kadabak says this in class, the students object by bringing up Skype and social media. Doesn't technology overcome distance? Dr. Cuddyback doesn't simply dismiss that, but he points out what we all really know deep down. That is not the deeper, fuller kind of human presence, and we can be fooled. We can be massaged into thinking that lesser ways of being present are actually being present. I think we need to be very attentive to the issue of how do human beings really live in the presence of one another. And as Catholics, we have a really profound way to consider the importance of true presence to one another because of, well, the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. I like to even meditate on our Lord thinking, I need to go and prepare a place for them. To some extent, that means I, I need to be absent from them, but at the same time, present to them. The Eucharist is such an astounding way for our Lord to make himself present to us and remind us that our life is about living in his presence. Friendship is a funny thing because there are so many things going on. There's so many micro decisions and reactions happening, and we can't explain how we did it or why we did it. It's a natural thing. It's one of the things that makes us human. 
It's really a beautiful thing. I'm I'm a big lover of friendships. I just think they're the greatest things in the world. I, I don't know what I would do without my friends and certain friends. This is Mary Warren. I found Mary because her latest book has to do with female friendship. My name is Mary Sheehan Warren, and I'm actually a Washington, D.C. local. And here I am with my five children and my husband. One of my favorite things to do is to teach fashion marketing, consumer behavior, and marketing management at the Bush School of Business at the Catholic University of America in their gorgeous new building, too. A lot of the reflection on friendship over the centuries has been by men. And we're different, y'all. Mary had a hard time making friends as a kid. I am the oldest of 10 kids, very close to my siblings. The theory goes that we have our emotional needs met by the family. I just didn't connect at school. I was also pretty, um, well, I was kind of a homely child. (laughs) I really had a, I mean, I just, I don't know, maybe I wasn't likable, but I really had a hard time finding friends, making friends, keeping friends. So it wasn't until high school that I found a group. And I remember that feeling halfway through, wow, I've got a group of friends, you know, and it's such a good feeling. You probably know that feeling that Mary had. I have people to hang out with, people who want to be around me, people to laugh with. It's great. Then Mary got married and became a mom, and she met an older woman named Patty. She knew a lot of young moms, the type of mom where they never learned to cook, they never learned to clean, there's a whole bunch of us, we just didn't. She thought it was her personal mission to come in, clean the house for one of these young friends, and then teach the friend how to stay somewhat organized, right? She was an amazing cook, she is an amazing cook as well. But I remember thinking, what a gift, what a gift. She was a true friend. It wasn't that she was trying to be preachy or self-righteous, showing people the way, you know, oh, you're gonna do it this way. It was that I'm here and I wanna help you. You know, I've got the extra time, I've got the extra means, I'd like to serve you. And I was so struck by that. I just thought that was the greatest, greatest thing. I'm hoping one day I'll have the opportunity and the good back and the good knee to be able to go in and, and actually help somebody who, who needs that kind of help. Patty was a huge gift to all of the women that she made friends with, and she set an example of friendship for them. We can't always take, 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 and we're always tempted to do that. It's a natural inclination to look out for ourselves, to monitor our, our emotions and our feelings and how well we're doing on so many different levels. We can sap our friends dry sometimes. And I think to think through how am I also giving? How am I being a friend for other people? I had to learn all that stuff. I had to learn to do nice things for people. Send a note, give them a smile, little chat. You can't just go straight into business, all business, all the time. Friendship teaches us to be a little less self-centered, to think about others, and to open up about our own fears or problems. First of all, there's a matter of trust. You find somebody you can trust. It's probably a relationship you already have, and you've learned to trust, and she's learned to trust you. And in that setting of trust, you're sharing things. You're becoming vulnerable when you share something, especially a real crisis, Um, maybe something about the marriage, something really personal. And you get something from that, even if it's only encouragement. And a good friend is going to always support the marriage. The only exception to that is abuse. 
and that's been covered in Episode 5. We can share a lot of more like vulnerable details with each other. No matter what stage of life you're in, you kind of get what each other are going through as a woman. You can share your hopes and dreams with each other, knowing that it's coming from a different perspective than men. And now as a mom, being friends with a lot of other moms, we could share that together, just motherhood, being a wife. I think sometimes you could put a lot of pressure on your husband to fulfill some of the needs that a woman can fulfill. You know, just being able to share and talk honestly and openly about how it could be hard sometimes to be a wife and a mother these days. And they know what you're going through sometimes before you even need to say it. An affirming nod is all you need to hear when sometimes your husband can't relate and he's not supposed to, you know. So I think it's very important to have that time woman to woman. This is Danielle Dill. My name's Danielle Dill. I'm married to James Dill for seven years, and we have three daughters. My name's James Dill. We live in New Jersey, and I work as a financial advisor at UBS Financial Services. Just as Danielle sees the importance of her female friendships, her husband James sees the importance of his male friendships. I think that you can have dynamic of men being able to have good relationships with each other and really be able to pull each other kind of out of their comfort zones. And I think that whether it's sports or competition or just generally living life together, I think that men just have this ability to kind of pull out the best in each other, especially good, wholesome relationships. That kind of relationship is so important. And men really just desire each other's respect and to kind of be affirmed by each other. And I think when you have good relationships with other men, uh, that respect and kind of that affirmation can really help men grow. The Dills also place an emphasis on being friends with other Catholic married couples and families. They are part of an intentional community called People of Hope. We're called on to celebrate the Lord's Day with other families. So ideally, it'd be every Saturday evening you would have or reach out to other families within the community or outside the community as well. Have the whole family over, break bread together, say prayers together, and it really helps give yourself a social life. I talk to so many families who are so busy with like children's schedule or their schedules and they don't have time to just socialize with each other. So we've been really fortunate to just have people in the same stage of life as us. There are other practical considerations for being friends with your kids' friends' parents. There was a situation where one of our friends had one of their kids over and they were kind of playing together and then they were going to watch a movie. And my friend just thought, you know, what? maybe I'll just call my buddy and just, just see if he's okay with, you know, them watching this movie. So we called up and he said, hey, we were going to watch so-and-so movie. You know, would you be okay with that? And my buddy kind of thought about it. And this is the other friend. And he said, you know, actually, I, I, I'd rather if you didn't watch that movie. And, you know, my other buddy said, hey, that's totally cool. That's why I called. Just wanted to check with you first. And they did something else or watched something else. But I just thought even, like, it's great to be able to have relationships with people that you can be that open and honest. I just thought it's just a really good example of how good friendships can really just be helpful. The Dills share Mary's opinion about what is valuable in a friend. Being open and honest with each other, I think, is really important virtue that, that I've seen. Sometimes maybe saying things that only a friend can say. You know, there's certain things that you couldn't just walk up to a stranger on the side of the road and say something to him or maybe encourage him or critique him. But I think friends have an ability to be, like, open and honest with each other. When you think about the virtues that you want in a friend, you want them to be trustworthy, loyal, a good listener, not jealous, and to really love you for who you are. So I think if you can look at yourself as those things, too, it calls you on. You're like, okay, I would expect this of a friend, so I need to be that, too. 
So it just helps build your character. And if you're able to maintain relationships that way, you're challenging yourself to keep that up, you know. And the Dills are hoping that their daughters will learn how to be good friends. We've always been talking to them about it and also just really praying that you know, they're just kind and treat other kids well because I just think it's a hard time to be a young kid. And isn't marriage itself a kind of friendship? Here's John Cuddy back again. Marriage and friendship are not the same thing. However, for a marriage to be what it can and should be, it needs to be a true friendship. And so many of the principles that we think about, that we examine in thinking about what true friendship is, apply even if in a somewhat unique way. Those same principles do apply in the case of spouses. St. Thomas Aquinas calls marriage the greatest of friendships. And he says, who can share life the way that a husband or wife can share life? Mary concurs and suggests that it might be a good exercise to write down your friends and consider whether the way that you spend your time accurately reflects who is important to you. I would start with my husband, uh, because I think in a marriage, a, a spouse is, is a best friend. Then, you know, to go forth from that, all my Marys, <laughs> my Mary, Mary Beth, Mary Ann, the people around me, my neighbor. Also, that kind of reflection helps you realize that, hey, I've got friends. And also that, hey, I forgot about this friend. Or this gal over here could be a friend. And what about priests? They need friends too. The greatest indication we have of the importance of friendship is that our Lord uh, at the Last Supper says to the apostles, I, I have called you friends. And so this definitive relationship with Christ is one of friendship. Uh, we are sons of the Father, but in our union with Christ, he, he describes it as, as a friendship. To get this interview, I had to get through the maze of a pastoral center. Okay. Okay, could you introduce yourself, please? I am Father Scalia, the vicar for clergy in the Diocese of Arlington. Father Scalia had spoken to me about friendship in the past, so I knew he'd have some things to say. Friendship is a relationship that is focused on uh, the third thing. A romantic relationship is two people looking at and focused on one another. Uh, the relationship in the family is, is focused on the family. But a friendship is, is focused on... Uh, something of mutual interest. Uh, and so, you know, friendships in like middle school or high school are kind of silly friendships in a sense because they're, what's their commonality? It's music or sports or things like that. And, and so it doesn't go that deep. In college, please God, it gets deeper. But as you go through life, what brings you to another person is share, uh, in friendship is a shared interest in something. And the, the deeper, the more profound that shared interest, the stronger the friendship will be because the deeper the roots, grow, the, the roots go. Getting together as friends because you like the same band is a fine beginning. That would be Aristotle's second kind of friendship. But the deeper the interest is, the deeper the friendship can be. In a sense, priests should, should have model friendships because what we have in common, what brings us together, is the deepest things. They're the most profound things, a shared identity as as priests, as those who stand at the altar, offer the sacrifice, the mass, forgive sins, the confessional. This common interest, which is, of course, more than just an interest, should bring us together and make us friends more than most men can be. And priests need that because it also provides an opportunity for correction. When we review the scandals of the past nine months or however long it's been, one of the things that is painfully 
painfully obvious is the superficiality of a lot of clerical culture. And Ted McCarrick, I mean, one thing is, is pretty clear is that he didn't really have anybody who could call him out on things. He was not really close to anyone. That seems like a really important point. If priests don't have friends, then they become bishops who don't have friends or cardinals who don't have friends. Why does that matter? Well, unlike married couples who constantly have someone holding up a mirror to them to show their faults, priests could, if they don't have friends, just get ever more entrenched in their own faults or sins. Friends correct us. And it hurts sometimes because you don't like to be, nobody likes to be corrected. Nobody likes to, to, to be told that they're deficient in some manner. But that is something that is necessary, of course, uh, in, in life. Ideally, priests in a parish or a diocese become friends. What's unique about this friendship is that priests can't choose their friends in quite the same way as lay people. I've heard the line, force fraternity is no fraternity, which is kind of funny when you first hear it. But it fails ultimately because all fraternity is forced. <laughs> you don't get to choose your, your brothers. And in, in the priesthood, we, you know, we don't get to choose who our brother priests are. And we have an obligation to see them as not just as, as brothers, but also try to make them friends. In that way, it's more like family. And priests can and should also be friends with lay people, too. Father Scalia emphasizes the importance of having an interest in something outside of yourself in order to make friends. You know, C.S. Lewis says, somebody who has no destination will, will not have fellow travelers. In order to have a fellow traveler, you have to have a destination. You have to have somewhere you're going. I remember realizing in college that instead of having one best friend who I did everything with, like in high school, instead I had a bunch of people to do different things with. If I wanted to go ice skating, I would invite Bethany. But if I wanted to watch baseball, that was something Marie would be into. One of the first things about friendship is it can't be your only interest. The person who just wants friendship is typically not going to find friends. It's the person who has an interest in in something, in some endeavor, in some venture, that kind of man will find friends. And it has to be something, I mean, sure, it's fun to have a scotch with friends, but friendship has to be about things more profound than scotch. I asked Father Scalia for a concrete example of friendship from his own life. My father died three years ago. I was just keenly aware of how blessed I was with friends from high school, college, and the seminary. That was a great, great blessing, the friends who immediately and in one case, a friend who really dropped everything came, came to, his friend came to be with me and help me with whatever I needed. And that was a great, great grace. Friends can lighten our sorrows. They can also just make life more fun. Of course, they're the lighter moments of friendship. Just being with friends, having, having a good discussion about something and the energy that comes from shared convictions and the shared effort of performing some good work. Those are, those are great blessings. Father Scalia shares John Cudabak's concern about social media friendships. Technology promises to, to enhance these things, and it even has phrases that, that mislead. You know, you have FaceTime, Facebook, fa and you can friend somebody on Facebook. And so it, it's tapping into this desire that people have to encounter another person face-to-face -face and to have friendships, to have friends. But it doesn't deliver because... Friendship, like any authentic, meaningful relationship, uh, requires time face-to-face, -face, and it requires difficult conversations at times. And our technology is designed to kind of avoid those things. It's in snippets and 
Friendship's not made, made of that. No relationship worth its salt is, can be done piecemeal. You know, you, you need to have just time together in order to get to know one another. And he points out that technology is a way to insulate ourselves from the risk of true friendship. Any relationship, and friendship included, of course, requires some, some degree of risk. And the social media, all of our technology, it just is one way to insulate us against the risk. Now, here's a shocker. I was planning to totally avoid a classic and, to me, annoying question in this episode. But Father dropped it. Can men and women be friends? Oh my gosh! I wasn't even going to ask that. Okay. Yes, but not in the same way. Obvi. Okay. No, don't Continue. say obvi. It's not obvi. Yes, it is. To you and I, to you and me it is, but to most of the culture it is not. Hmm. In order for men and women to be friends, there has to be appreciation for the, for the differences of men and women. We talked about it a little more and generally agreed. In those instances, it is even more important for the shared purpose to exist. Because if the shared purpose doesn't, doesn't exist, then the risk of it becoming just romantic is, is heightened. We could do a whole episode about that, y'all. And Father Scalia learned about friendship through the example of his parents. Mom and Dad had friends. And they had friends come over for dinner parties and Christmas caroling. And, and you know, we'd have dinner early. They'd get fish sticks and fries or something like that. And then we'd be sent upstairs. That was it. We weren't invited. And it was, it was kind of cool to realize that Mom and Dad have friends. And that, that's a blessing for the entire family. And something is lost when parents don't have friends. I also thought it was important in this episode to touch on clericalism, because we're all talking about that these days. Clericalism is simply a distorted form of friendship that is turned in on itself and self-promoting and can lead to all kinds of immoralities, as, as we've seen. So while we're on the subject of clergy and friendship... My name is Bishop Frank Caggiano, and I'm the Bishop of Bridgeport in Connecticut. That's right, y'all. Still from that one interview I did a year ago. The pastoral letter I would like to write is on the Christian understanding and gift of friendship. Because it seems to me that friendship is the hidden key to a successful marriage, a life-giving celibacy, a joyful single life, and even for those individuals who are struggling with same-sex attraction. Friendship is a key piece to the, for those individuals to, to remain joyful and live a life of authentic faith despite the challenges they're going to face, right? As a celibate faces his or her challenges, as a married couple faces his or her challenges. Bishop Caggiano has given this a lot of thought. He quotes Aquinas and others and thinks that We live in a world where friendship has to be rediscovered. And I think the church can do that powerfully. Well, as I say in every episode, lots more to say here, but no time. To end, here's a cute story about friendship from USCCB staff member Teresa Notare. In 2005, I had to have hip replacement surgery. And I didn't realize all that I would need to put in place before the surgery. I kind of thought, oh, the first two weeks, you know, my sister will come down one week. My other sister will come down another week. That'll be fine. I didn't realize I needed six weeks of being in my apartment as basically an invalid with a walker and pretty much not being able to do anything. And four of those weeks being in severe pain. So 
my apartment, and I'm very neat. I'm a neat, I'm a neat Nick. My apartment is exceedingly neat, but it got hugely dusty. And in addition, it's Washington, D.C. Mold grows on everywhere. So how much can you do with a walker and a little spray bottle of mold remover? In any case, I was a little obsessive. And out of the blue, Therese Burmple, one of my dearest friends, showed up at my apartment with rubber gloves in hand to say she was going to clean my apartment. I can't tell you the mix of delight and also Italian-American obsessiveness that came out of me in that moment because I was absolutely surprised and delighted. And at the same time, I just organically told her what to do. (laughs) So I still can see her on her knees cleaning the bathroom with her rubber gloves on and she actually tied my shower curtain into a knot and I was like "Ah, don't do that (laughs) that'll create wrinkles and I had to do everything with my little walker to shut my big mouth and just praise God and thank God for this amazing generosity which really was above and beyond the call of duty if you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.